Okay, I almost don't want to share this episode with you because Tess Wicks is my money coach and she is my secret weapon to planning out all of my finances, how I pay myself, how I save for business investments, how I save for taxes, and I just adore her. But I'm I'm so excited to share her with all of you, um, but I almost don't want to give her away because she's that good of a secret. So anyway, I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Tess. It's one of my favorites that we've ever recorded. I know money is a hard topic to talk about, but Tess makes it really, really easy and enjoyable. I think you'll love this episode and enjoy. Okay. I am here with my money coach, or I guess the fancier word is financial coach, uh, Tess Wicks. She's here to talk to us all about I don't know if this is our favorite topic or our least favorite topic, Tess, but we're talking about money. So um, I am very familiar with you and some of my listeners may be familiar with you, but for those who aren't, can you introduce yourself and tell us about you and your business? Yes. Well, money is my favorite topic for sure. <laughs> um, so I am Tess Wicks. I run a multifaceted business now because for years I built a financial coaching business where originally I worked with traditionally employed individuals and then I shifted into helping more self-employed individuals uh, like Alyssa here. And I really just saw a need for some you know, financial literacy and also understanding of how to manage the cash flow in a business. Because once you have a business, it's like having a second financial household to keep in check. And so that was something that I was really excited to help entrepreneurs on. And I built that up. I have some awesome resources that Alyssa may have shared in the past, but I'm happy to share today. And one big thing that, you know, I'm really passionate about in addition to like the nitty gritty cash flow in business finance is also money mindset and just how we, we think and we behave when money comes into play with things. So I love talking all things money. It's like I said, my favorite subject. I talk about it all the time and I know that it can be weird for some people at first to just like meet me and then all of a sudden we're having a full conversation about money. But it's my it's my love. And in the last year or so, I've transitioned to supporting my fellow money coaches and building their businesses. Um, but I always love to to talk about the money stuff still and you know get into it whenever I can. So here we are. I am so glad I found you. I did not know money mindset was a thing. I did not know it was something I needed to work on until I stumbled on you somehow. I don't even remember how I did, but I'm so glad that I did. It's funny how that happens. Mm-hmm. And and we've been working on money mindset and it has been absolutely life-changing. So I'm really excited to share with everybody here. And I think one of the things that came up for me right away that I think comes up for a lot of my listeners is that because we're teachers and this is sort of uh, teaching is the thing that we have been really focused on for most of our lives is just like landing a job as a teacher. And then when we do, we get this paycheck and we're like, this is great. And we learn, you know, how to manage that money coming in through the paycheck. But then we get in this like paycheck frame of mind where we only know how to deal with a paycheck coming in. And then you add on a side hustle and all of a sudden you've got this bonus 
what feels like kind of like a bonus amount of money coming in. And then that can be a little scary because you're like, well, what do I do with this? Should I be saving it? Should I be spending it? Should I be saving part of it? What do I do for taxes? And then, and then there's this whole other mindset thing of like, should I invest some of it in my own business? Aren't I supposed to be putting all my money back in my business for the first year? So can you walk us through some kind of maybe baby steps we could take just to begin to wrap our minds around how to deal with this extra income stream? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think first and foremost, be excited. What a champagne problem to have some extra income and really be faced with that decision of like, okay, what do I do now? And it really is true. The more, I mean, there's just different levels of problems that you're going to experience throughout your life. So maybe when you're just getting started and you're just, you know, working with your entry level teacher salary, you can struggle with the everyday day to day. And then you, you, you know, you build your income and you have new struggles and then you have some extra income. And so you're always faced with new challenges. I think you know, in the personal development world, we say new level, new devil. Um, uh-huh. And that's true with money. And and this is a new level for the teachers who are side hustling and bringing in that extra income. So first of all, like, just be excited that this is a new level of problems to face, even though it's not always fun to be like, okay, now we need to solve the problems. Um, but then what I always invite everyone to do is really to decide if you're going to be looking at this side hustle that you are that you are building um and even if you want to keep it as a side hustle like decide if this is a business or if it is a hobby right and because businesses make money they pay taxes they have expenses that they have to pay and the ultimate goal is for you know you to be able to take some money home after the fact right if it's a if it's a side hustle and it's a business then it can like also help to either pay your bills or help to um go towards a a personal savings goal or investing goal or something like that. But if it is a business, then there's going to be those four key components like I just mentioned. Businesses pay taxes, they pay the business expenses, they pay you. And I guess I didn't mention the fourth, which is they're also profitable. Fancy that. So well, more on that in a little bit. But obviously, the other end of the spectrum is like you're doing this side hustle just to have some fun, to have something to work on. It makes money, but pretty much all of the money that it makes you end up spending. And sometimes I think that people can get into the habit of believing that you know, I just have to keep reinvesting in my business and reinvesting every dollar that I make into my business so my business can grow. And on one hand, sure, that can be effective, but I also feel that sometimes that can that can end up leading you it's, – it's kind of like lifestyle inflation in the personal finance world. The more money you make, if you let your lifestyle inflate, right, at, you know, every year after you get a pay increase, that's called lifestyle inflation. In this case, it's like business lifestyle inflation. So the more money you make, if you're not used to setting certain dollar amounts aside, but you're treating this as a business and you're just letting every dollar you make be spent on re, quote unquote reinvestments, then what are we really investing for? So that's the second thing is just to like ask yourself, you know, what do I want out of this business? Do I want to treat it like a business or do I want it to be a hobby? And so every dollar it makes, I just kind of like spend it, like 
respend it inside of my business. And that way I can just like keep doing this, but never really have that end goal of being profitable and paying myself out. Um, because once we advance to being profitable, that's where you also have to pay taxes. That's the kind of double-edged sword. But this is, again, another one of those champagne problems. If you're paying taxes, that means you're making money. And so that's a good thing. And we like we like to pay taxes in this case. Um, so that's kind of the first steps in, in terms of making this decision about like, what do you do with your extra money is just first like deciding what is this money for? What is the end goal? How do we want to treat this money? And then kind of making a plan from there. So I'm going to stop there and see if you have any questions for me. I'll just keep going. I'm taking notes over here. But I think that that's a really good place to start is like deciding. And I think that most of the people who are listening to this podcast have made the decision. And maybe this is the point where where they will say, where they will make it more of a conscious decision. But I think Mm -hmm when they're listening to this podcast, something inside of them is telling them this could be a business or this should be a business, or I would like this to be a business. And so I think they may be in that shift Mm -hmm. if they're not already there, but they may be held back by some of this scary stuff or harder stuff for us, which is thinking about taxes and thinking about those things that that feel really scary. So maybe in this episode, we can take some of the fear out of the business decisions because I think sometimes we keep it as a, as a hobby, even though we may not want to, because we're scared about these business type things. So let's yeah. go there next. Like yeah. what, well, I guess let's figure this part out. I think I, I put this question last on our list, but I feel like this is an appropriate time to go there. I think first of all, that we get a little confused about taxes. Do we need a bookkeeper? Do we need an accountant? Do we need a financial coach? Do we need all of them? Where do we start with keeping track of our money? Yeah. So that is a perfect question. And I think this kind of goes back to also that fear around, you know, potentially limiting yourself from growing your business because you're afraid of like the new level of responsibility to take on. So that's totally a mindset, you know, block in a lot of ways. Um, And the way that I like to move my clients through blocks is by doing, right? Like I'm, I, I like the, the airy fairy stuff, but I'm also like, but we could also just raise your prices and see what happens. And then we do it and we see how it's awesome. Um, This is why I love you. (laughs) I love the woo, but I'm all about action. That's why I love you. (laughs) Thank you. So coming back to, okay, you want to build your business, but you're also thinking, I might need some support or what would the most appropriate support be to bring on? So you're you're spot on. There's there's lots of different levels of support out there. And I think the the bookkeeper, the accountant, and the financial coach can play different roles. They can also play all the same role. Um, so as an example, I am just a financial coach. So I help you with kind of the higher level decision making and understand how the cash should flow in your business. Now, once we determine that, you know, if you're deciding that, okay, 30% of your income, your revenue that you're bringing in, let's say you have a $10,000 launch. So what is that? $3,000? I'm totally butchering this um, in terms of (laughs) my mental math is really bad and it should be good. Um, But let's say $3,000 you want to be spending on, you know, 
on the business expenses. Okay, that's great. But then when you actually go out and you spend that money, then you have to track those expenditures. So that's where bookkeeping comes into play. Now you can pay someone to track those expenses for you. And that would be hiring a bookkeeper. Or you can do it yourself absolutely by going through um, you know, a, a bookkeeping software like QuickBooks, FreshBooks, Zero, And then there's also kind of a middle ground. Well, it is paying a bookkeeper, but um, there's Bench as well. And they're like a kind of like a new new age bookkeeper where you're not just paying one individual, but you're paying an agency to keep your books. So they're a middle ground price. But that can be good if you're not if you don't really want to be hands-on with tracking your income and expenses, um, but you know you need to have your book sorted because then at the end of the year, we take that and we pass it off to an accountant or a CPA or a tax preparer. Um, so it can depend on who you end up hiring, but the person that's ultimately going to prepare your taxes for you and tell you how much you owe or how much the IRS is going to pay you back or the state is going to pay you back. Um, so yes, you could have all three. Um, yes, one person could be all three for you. You could have an accountant who also has a bookkeeper on staff or just is, you know, a solo accountant CPA who does your bookkeeping also. They might also offer coaching. It really just depends who you find. Um, and it depends what your needs are. So I personally like doing my own bookkeeping because I'm a hashtag money nerd. Um, but I do work with a CPA who prepares my taxes because I'm not that nerdy. So I need some help in that regard. Um, what level of nerdy are you? <laughs> yes. I'm level two. I love that. <laughs> level two nerd. I, I just started using Bench um, after you recommended it because I didn't want to, I know how to keep the books, but I just don't have the capacity to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I've been very happy with them. What I like about Bench is that it's all your communication is online. There's a little messenger right on their system. So if they need something from me, if they're not sure what, like how to label a certain transaction, they just message me. And for me, that's been so nice because it's not, I don't have to hop on a call. Like I don't have to do any of that. I just quickly message them back like, oh, that was a donation or whatever. And they are able to quickly pull that. And then they pull these reports for me that are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um reports, which is nice. Yeah. 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 So I think it really depends on on your needs and what you're looking for. I would say probably the most important person to have, especially if your business is becoming a little bit more complicated, is going to be someone who's going to professionally prepare your taxes for you. Because, yeah. you know, tax is just something you don't want to mess up and try to you know, DIY it and then mess it up on your own. It, I just have the peace of mind to pay someone to do that. And then as you're really looking to be able to um, reach some financial goals, whether that be in your business or in your personal life, hiring a financial coach to help you with that can be really beneficial. And then you can pretty easily either outsource your bookkeeping or do it yourself. Again, just depending on how much time you have and um, how hands-on you really want to be. That's perfect. Thank you. And I think then the next part is thinking about 
from the financial coaching perspective, something we work through is a payday party where we figure out how I can pay myself. So can you walk us a little bit through that process of a payday party and how that works? Absolutely. So these are my favorite things in the world, probably. I have it marked on my calendar and I like anxiously await my payday parties. But doing a payday party is a way to sort of normalize your income because when you're side hustling and i'm guessing most of your most of your clients most of your listeners are side hustling in the online space you yep. and and even if you're not side hustling in the online space but like you can make money every single day and that can become a little bit overwhelming because you want to make sure you have enough to pay the bills in the business um you want to make sure that you know do you have enough to put aside for taxes and if you're stuck wondering like, can I take money out of my business so I can go on this vacation or even just like buy a coffee for myself as a personal expense, you don't really know if it's all just sitting in one old bank account sitting there, right? And so by having payday parties, you can regularly have a date where you sit down you take what you've accumulated since your last payday party. If it's your very first one, then there's a little bit of you know learning process, but it's okay. Um, we can work on that. But you sit down, you take the money that your business has brought in since the last payday party, and then you start to filter it through uh, allocation percentages. And those are just you know it's a fancy word for saying okay, you're going to set aside. 20%, let's say, for taxes. And you put that in a savings account so that you can know, okay, that's the no touchy account. That's for Uncle Sam. It's not for us. We just leave it there. And then you decide, you know, like I said, maybe it's 30% you put away into a an account for your business bills. Um, that might just be leaving it in the current account, right? If you have a business checking account, then maybe you just leave it there. And then you pull some money out for yourself and that's your payday. That's you getting paid from your business. Now, the first way that doing a payday party can go bad, can kind of crumble, is if your banking your business and your personal life in the same bank. So if you need to do one thing after this episode, if you have your business income and expenses coming in and going out of the same account or even the same cards as your personal income and expenses, you need to draw a line and decide, okay, I either got to go open a, a business account or just open a second personal account for now and just make sure I'm separating that. Um, and then if you have like credit cards, you got to decide which one is going to be used for business spending, which one for personal spending, and just draw that line. I like to write little sticky notes onto my cards if I'm going to be using them so that you at least have that first step of, of organization. And then from there, you can kind of do the payday parties where your business pays you on a regular basis uh, to your personal. And it, you feel a little bit more normal when you can start regulating that paycheck similar to how you get paid as a teacher. You know what? That's probably the biggest step. Um, it was the 
hardest or like the least fun step when we started working together. Um, and my husband was like, why do we have all of these accounts all of a sudden? Like, what is going on? I'm like, well, Tess told me I need this one and this one and this one. But I think we, so one big mistake I was making is that because on Teachers Pay Teachers, our payouts come through PayPal. Mm-hmm. And also with a lot of my products, my courses and memberships, the payouts are coming in PayPal. I was thinking that PayPal was the my account that I would be using. I, you know, had a business account on PayPal and I was like, oh, I'll just like do all my banking out of PayPal. But you were able to clear that up for me. Can you just talk a little bit about PayPal and how it can function or should function with our accounts? Like, should we be using that as our bank account? So usually not only because PayPal doesn't have like the best policies in place to protect small online business owners. Um, things like chargeback, chargebacks can be really detrimental. And if you have cash sitting in there, then they'll just take it right out. Um, and also there's just been little murmurs of like accounts getting shut down where you have a balance in it and then it just goes poof. Um, so you just don't ever want that to happen. You want the money to be in your bank account so that you know that you're going to be okay. Um, So all I would do is like PayPal is kind of like a holding account, right? You get paid and then just sits there and you usually have to actively go in and transfer it. But just set up a secondary account. Again, this can be a second personal account um, or and typically very recommended, especially if you have an LLC, um, to have an actual business account tied to your LLC. So set that up and then you can just transfer your PayPal income straight into your business checking account. Yep. That actually feels really nice. Like I I really love getting my money now that I'm now that I've got it all set up. I like getting it out of PayPal and into the account and then from there, like you said, it can go into that different those different categories where you're paying yourself, paying a percentage to taxes, and paying a percentage for your business expenses because you it is okay to invest in your business. It's just that you want to be smart about choosing those investments, right? So being able to pay and figure out what you need to spend in your business. Right. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, having these separate accounts set up. So to kind of paint the picture a little bit clearer, PayPal is just going to collect the payments and then you kind of like pull the lever and it can deposit straight into your business checking. But then from there, what Alyssa was mentioning is I have my clients set up two savings accounts under their business bank and two checking accounts. And this sounds like overkill, but just wait, because let me tell you, I have like nine personal savings and checking accounts. So it's not, we're not even getting started. Um, But it can feel like overkill, but the way that I like to use accounts and the way that really helps clarify it for, for individuals is your accounts are kind of like boundaries, right? You set up boundaries in in your bank and then you determine, okay, if I have a savings account that's specifically set there for tax time and I put 20% of every dollar I make into that savings account and then I know that is a boundary. I do not touch it. I do not pull from it. I know it can be tempting. So sometimes you even put it in a different bank account outside of it, but... That's a little, that's the advanced level. Um, but setting that boundary so that you don't end up borrowing from, again, that's not your money. That's the IRS's money anyway. They're going to come after you if you don't pay it. So might as well have it, be saving up for it so that when you come to tax time, you can 
gladly be like, of course I have this money. Let me pay you a nice big check, chunk of change. And you you don't have to fear about you know whether you have enough, whether you've saved enough for taxes or what you're going to owe on a payment plan after April 15th. Um, the same goes for having a business expenses account. Like you said, I think people can get really wrapped into spending all of the money that they make in their business because they think that that's the most important part. And my argument is the most important thing for you to spend money in your business is like you, like taking some money out of your business to be able to either live on or just use to to buy yourself a guilt-free cup of coffee or a massage so that you, you know, depending on what you need that money for if you're if you're living off of it then obviously it's to pay bills but if it's if this is a side hustle and you're fine with your regular um, teacher income then this is excess money to treat yourself and to reward you for being an awesome business owner that that you are so setting those boundaries up is really you know it's a it's an act of self care um, to have those different accounts and then to be able to collect that income and then divvy it up and we do it twice a month so we do it on the tenth and the twenty fifth of every month um, so that we can make sure that we have some cash in the bank by the first and the fifteenth of the month. Yeah, those are the payday parties. They're my favorite days of the month. I have the spreadsheet bookmarked and I'm like, I can't wait for the 10th and the 25th so I can go in and disperse the money to the different percentages. It is oddly satisfying to put the boundaries around the money like that because just like you said, it's like giving yourself a paycheck. So then you're giving mm-hmm. yourself permission to have the reward and you you all are working so hard. You deserve that reward and to not feel guilty about it, to know that you've got your savings account, you've got your business expenses, you've got boundaries around everything. And so when you go to Target and you spend that money in the personal account that you earned, you earned it and it's worth celebrating. Absolutely. Yeah. You talked a little bit about um, blocks when it comes to money and like one of the common blocks or limiting beliefs that you said was was like limiting yourself because of this hard stuff. What we just talked about is not the easiest stuff to get through when it comes to being a business owner. What are some other common blocks or limiting beliefs when it comes to money? I know one that you've mentioned is like abundance mindset versus scarcity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot there there's so many different kind of mindset blocks and really when we boil what money mindset is when we boil it down it's a unique and individual set of core beliefs that each and every one of us has about money and how money works in our world so you know there's unlimited number of blocks because it's all super personalized um but you know some some ones just to name a few i mean the first and foremost is you know charging, right? A block around pricing your services or your products to a point where it's there's a fair exchange of value happening. And I think something that's interesting um, that might kind of feel like the opposite of what a lot of people have heard is I don't like it when people say, you know, I want to charge my worth or I want to charge what I'm worth because to me, you are inherently worthy. Like you don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to put a price tag on it. And when we when we say, oh, I need to charge what I'm worth, we're attaching our worthiness to the value that, you know, our business provides. And 
we are so much more than our business. So that's one thing that I, I really love to kind of like crack open. And, um, again, because I, I'm, I, I like to blend that woo-woo-ness with the actual action taking. When I look at pricing, when I help my clients price, we do it based off of the numbers and the value exchange that's happening at the end of it all, right? So of course, the numbers need to make sense. You need to make sure you're pricing and you're able to you know, pay yourself. If that's what you need to do, you're able to cover taxes. You're able to cover the expenses that go into creating this service or this product. And then of course, it needs to make sense for the client. And the client has to be able, or the customer has to be getting the value that they're investing into whatever it is that you're offering. And that has nothing to do with your worthiness or your value as a human. That has everything to do with just the value exchange that's happening at the end of this business deal. Um, So I really think that that is one of the top ones that I see being one that just cripples people because they get so wrapped up into this this pricing misinterpretation of what pricing really is, especially for service-based business owners. You know, um, a lot of my listeners sell digital products on a site called Teachers Pay Teachers. And some of them are, you know, course creators or membership site owners, or they have a service-based business, but a good chunk of them sell these digital products. And something I see happening a lot is people are asking, how do I price these products? Do I compare them? Because this is a marketplace like Etsy. So it's like, do I do I compare them to other products of the same size? Do I charge per page? And what I see that they seem to be missing is what are your goals? What do you want to make and how can you get there? Mm-hmm. And kind of working our way there instead of comparing to what other people are doing. And I think they find it very hard to price these products. And we're talking low, 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 like $3 products. Some people are charging under $3 for a digital product, not not realizing that this is about you and your business and and how you can get to your goal income and you're not going to get there with a dollar product. Mm-hmm. And also, like, what sort of results are you going to get for someone who is paying $3? Like, how committed are they if they're paying a dollar or $3 versus 15 or 75 you know? And it, not to say that you need to way outprice the market, but really understanding that those who pay, pay attention. And if you want to have really great reviews, you have to have that equal investment to your product that you've invested in getting your product out there and knowing that like, if people take this and apply what I tell them to do or actually use it, they're going to see results. And, you know, a lot of times it's not just about, oh, I downloaded the product, you know, whether it's free or $1, it's about them feeling invested in actually using it. And then when they actually use it, that's when they see results. Totally. And I am so guilty of when I was teaching, grabbing products for $3 or under and then forgetting I even bought them because they were so cheap. We all have that graveyard, the freebie graveyard. Yep. (laughs) Yes. And so you're exactly right. By, By 
putting a higher price on it, you're actually, when they, when they purchase it, they're making a bigger commitment to actually see it through, which means your products are getting in front of kids more often, Mm -hmm. which is really valuable and the ultimate goal for all of us who want more impact. So quality products and prices that reflect that I think are so important. And that's, like you said, that's our own money stuff. That's our own block Mm -hmm. there around pricing and feeling like, well, it didn't take me that long. Well, it's not that many pages. Well, it's you know, it's only worth a dollar. Yeah. I mean, think about how much time you'll be saving the the teacher or how much value you'll be bringing to the parent when their child can catch on and that child and the future of that that child's life and you know, maybe they'll be able to go and start making digital products and there's like unlimited value that you you bring in when you put something like a digital product out there and you can see that ripple effect. You just got to open the mind. Totally. I love that one. So what about abundance versus scarcity? Can you talk to us about that yeah, one? So a lot of people, and this is this is normal and this is natural, we are all born with our lizard brain, our subconscious part of our brain that is in charge of keeping us alive. It keeps us walking, talking, breathing, eating. It makes sure that we can, you know, just do the things without having to think about it. And one thing that this part of our brain is also really good at is looking for threats. And so it's constantly looking for threats because, you know, think back in the day when we weren't as intelligent, you know, the intelligent human beings that we are today, all we really had to do as humans walking the planet was, you know, stay away from the lions and tigers and bears. And so, we we didn't have to put a lot of effort into thinking about other things. Of course, humans did, and that's why we evolved. But we have this part of our brain that is constantly looking for threats. And that is exactly what feeds into what we call the scarcity mindset. So scarcity, you know, at the end of it is just believing that there's never going to be enough. Um, Enough of what? That's ultimately yours to decide. We can have scarcity mindset around food. We can have scarcity mindset around money. We can have scarcity mindset around good weather. We can have scarcity mindset around days of the summer. Um, And it's just the belief that you're there's not enough to go around and that there that there's never, you know, enough essentially. Now, the I guess opposite of that is the abundance mindset where it takes a lot more effort to be abundantly minded because remember, our just like working on autopilot part of our brain is the one that's constantly looking for threats. So if your if money is something that you need to be able to survive now we've turned it into this thing that we are constantly looking for threats around so if you feel really insecure around your money naturally you're going to be wired to be coming up and looking for reasons why there's not going to be enough um then you start focusing on that and what you focus on expands. So you just get more and more of that scarcity mindset. The abundant side is the belief that there is more than enough to go around. Or I always like to say there's more where that came from. And abundant mindset is, you know, you know, feeling like you have a, an abundance of good weather, feeling like there's going to be an abundance of money, feeling like there's going to be an abundance of opportunity. I mean, you could even take it into dating. There's going to be an abundance of um you know, good potential 
others for us okay. to court. And we can we can see how, you know, whether you I think it's really easy to use alternative um examples when you're thinking about scarcity and and abundance than anything that you might be struggling with. So if we're struggling with money, think about it, but like maybe you're really good at relationships or maybe you're really good at business or maybe you're really good at um, your health and fitness, like think about it in that perspective and think about how abundance and scarcity shows up for people who struggle in that field. And that's where you can really start to pinpoint, you know, how are they living in a state of scarcity and how does that kind of reflect on how I am around money and, and then the opposite with abundance. Uh, I think the interesting thing is it's really hard to not, it's not hard, but it's not natural for us to have an abundance mindset because, our natural way of being is looking for the threats. But an abundance mindset is constantly looking for the opportunities. And I love it because, I mean, why not, right? Why not just constantly being like, oh my gosh, we got all green lights when we were driving home from, I don't know where anyone drives home from these days, Um, but (laughs) we we were driving home from uh, the grocery store. How lucky. Yeah. Yeah, That's the only place we go these days. Um, How lucky of us. Or, oh my gosh, I got a sale for my, my $3 product. Like how lucky of me or how, how abundant, like there's so much more where that came from. Um, you know, thinking about things from that angle allows you to see more of that, right? What you focus on expands. So it takes work because again, naturally we're wired to think, oh my gosh, there's no no one else is going to buy my product or where am I ever going to find another client who's going to hire me? Like this is never going to happen again. And instead you have to practice and work on always looking for those opportunities, looking for what you want, focusing on what you want and Therefore, naturally, when you open your mind to it, you'll find more of it. And this, like the the easiest example I can give you in how your brain actually works like this is when you start thinking about buying a new car and you just start like thinking about the the make and the model, you become obsessed with it. Or maybe you hear someone who's talking about this specific type of car And then all of a sudden, everyone and their grandmother is driving around that car in your neighborhood. And you're like, why do I see this car all the time everywhere? That's basically, you know, you give your brain something to start thinking of. And if you're not a car person, which I'm not even a car person, but just because something so specific gets brought to the center of your brain, you start to look for that. So you want to make sure that you're consciously thinking about those, you know, those positive things, those abundance things. So you can start to see more of that instead of, you know, if we always kind of think about there not being enough, whether that's money or food or significant others, um, we're going to, we're going to see more of the evidence of that. I love how dating came in there. Scarcity around the amount of people that are that we could court. I love that. Right, part. <laughs> plenty of fish in the sea. I mean, they've been saying it for decades now, probably since. Right, right. You're right. It could apply to anything, and I think, I think as teachers, this is what I mean by the paycheck mindset. Because, you know, to be frank, we are not paid what we deserve, no. and I think everybody listening can can relate. So we are constantly feeling threatened, like. Or we could lose our job, or are we valued enough? You know, is our work valuable? And feeling like it's 
not enough and we need to do more and give more to earn this paycheck. And I think that then when you get into the online business world and you realize and you start to look at money as a as something that could potentially be abundant, mm-hmm. like when we're talking about when I first sat down for this business and I and I wrote out my vision, my vision was to stay home on maternity leave for a year, which meant I needed to match my teaching salary. And at that time, I was totally living in a scarcity mindset. Totally. Like there was no way I was going to ever make enough money and that just felt totally terrifying. But because I wanted to have a third baby and I wanted to stay home with her, I put my mind to to working on this abundance mindset. And once you start to see that opportunity, like you said, it's it's the ability to see the opportunity. Mm-hmm. When you see that opportunity, you can dream a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And when you make that decision, then it starts to happen. It starts to fall into place. Yes, exactly. And and so for some of us, I think it's like we can't even imagine a five or six figure year in a business. Like we can't even wrap our minds around it. But when we begin to see it with this abundance mindset, it it makes that possible. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing to add to that is that there's so much noise out there that's always talking about the big steps in business. And you have to get comfortable and make it a routine to celebrate the small steps because that's what equals those five-figure or six-figure years. And there's too many people who are looking too far ahead and then they get overwhelmed and they get analysis paralysis and they get frustrated and discouraged and they give up. And like I was just telling this to my clients a couple hours ago, you have to just focus on the next step in front of you and then celebrate whatever accomplishment or achievement, you know, or even if it's just finishing the step somewhat okay, like just celebrate that so that you can continue to move forward um, because it's it's the moving forward part. And I think it's it's good to be have that abundance mindset and that long-term outlook of like I want to be able to replace my my teacher's salary so that I can stay home on maternity leave for a year. And with that, you also have to know like what do, what do I have to do today? What can I do today? And actually take the action to see that this is possible. And it's typically, you know, when it when it comes to mindset work and manifestation, Sometimes what is lacking is the actual encouragement and nudge to do, right? You can think it, you can dream it, you can vision board it, but then you actually have to start taking those steps and putting them into place. Exactly. Woo plus action. That's like the theme of this whole podcast. Maybe that's the title. You have to have it both. You have to have the woo and the action plan. So get the vision and then take the next step to do it. I think that that is exactly the big secret. Mm -hmm. It's just, you've got to have both the vision and the action plan. I love that. Tess, I know that after this episode, everybody's going to be trying to steal my money coach. And (laughs) so I don't even really, I want to like use a false name, (laughs) but um, I know that teachers are going to be looking for more help. So can you tell us where they can find you? Yes. So I am always on Instagram. I'm at Tess underscore Wix. I talk a lot more about money coach than I do about money these days, but I have a whole archive of podcast episodes on the Wander Wealthy podcast, which you can go check out. And anything before episode like 160 is going to be 
in your ballpark. So check those out. And then um, if you're interested in learning more about payday parties, you can also head to wanderwealthy.com slash party and you'll learn more about how we implement those and maybe take on the opportunity to start building out your own payday parties. Uh, That's where I started with you. And I highly, highly recommend um, checking that out because that's, I think that must be what I stumbled on first. And um, it was just perfect for what I needed at the time. So I think a lot of my listeners will really love that offering. And I'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here. This was a great episode and I can't wait to share it with the listeners. So thank you. Thank you, Alyssa. It was so fun to be here and chat money with you. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a creative educator who is wanting to start their business online. Maybe you have started your business, but you can't gain any traction because as soon as you take one step forward, there are a million more things you're supposed to be doing like blogging or podcasting, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Maybe you've heard all the marketing podcasts, but there's so much conflicting information. You just want the roadmap to success. I know sometimes it feels like the big name marketing experts don't understand our lives as teachers. You might be worried you're going to spend all your time and money on creating your online business, or maybe you already have spent tons of time and money and no one is going to show up to buy the thing you have to offer. And you're worried about how you're going to stand out among the rest. If you don't want a degree in marketing, but you want to inspire other teachers and you want to stand out among the rest and create a voice and share your thoughts and ideas and bring in some money, but it all feels a little overwhelming. I have good news for you. You are exactly where you need to be. You have everything you need to share your passion and to make some serious cash in the process. I want to introduce my signature training for creative teachers like you, Teacher Hustle University, and you can get your hands on my step-by-step guide to designing an online business with a strategic, purposeful marketing plan. The Teacher Hustle University framework is your chance to build that solid foundation in marketing for your online business, to make a difference in classrooms around the world, to generate a steady monthly income, and to put it all on autopilot so you can enjoy life's moments. I teach you all of the pieces of the framework for Teacher Hustle University inside my free masterclass, which you can find at alissamcdonald.com slash masterclass.